enjoying the book of 1 Thessalonians. We have been diving in and, and figuring out what God is saying to the church in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He was talking to the church of Thessalonica. And so I want you today, if you will, stand to your feet. Uh, I want to welcome also today people that are joining us in our church family, in our campuses like uh, Blythe, San Diego, places like Santa Paula. But also today we have our church family joining us from Portland, Oregon, Hawaii, Bakersfield, Alabama, Anaheim, Boise, Idaho, Dublin, California. Can we welcome all of our church family that's joining us from around the country and around the world? Isn't that cool? Wow, it's so cool. We all are together in one place. Even though we're not physically in this location, we are together and we're hearing God's word. This passage we're about to read in 1 Thessalonians um, is a passage, chapter 1, verse 7, and it's the filter that we're looking through to see the entire book. This is kind of the, the overall message of this entire book that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And what he's saying is he's saying, I'm wanting you to be a model. I'm wanting you to be an example. So I want us all to read it together. Let's read out loud. Those who are joining us online, why don't you do the same? Here we go. You have become an example the believers in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Wow, what an incredible testimony that when people talked about the church in Thessalonica, they kept saying, well, these people, they have faith. These people love Jesus. You see, God is calling the church in Thessalonica to be a model, an example of what it means to be an authentic Christian or what it means to be authentic Christian leadership. And that's God's heart for us. You see, in Thessalonica, it was an incredibly morally corrupt city. And yet in the midst of this morally corrupt city, that's where God raises up a model. And how many know we live in a corrupt world? And if there ever were a, a place and a time in history where we need a bright light, it's when the darkness is, is deep, right? So God is raising up a church here at Higher Vision to be the model and the example of authentic Christianity. Somebody say amen to that. So I want to pray, but before I pray, I want to also acknowledge we have, this is the beginning of our internship program for the year, and a lot of our interns have come today. They're sitting over here in these two rows. Wave, wave at us, interns. Come on, wave at us. Come on, wave. Give a hand to all the interns. I want to thank all of you that opened your homes as host homes, and we're excited about this year. Why don't we close our eyes and just welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you're in this place. And it's not, what's powerful, God, is that you're not just in this moment here in this room, but you're in Sydney, and you're in Sweden, and you're in Boise, and you're in Alabama. Your presence is right there in the midst of your people. And we acknowledge that presence, and we say, speak to us today. Open our hearts to receive your truth. Say this with me. Say, God, speak to me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you, Jake. What we're going to do today is we're going to jump now into the last part of 1 Thessalonians and finish this book out. And I'm going to try to get a chapter and a quarter all done in one sermon. Miracles still happen. Come on. Can happen today. So what's going to happen is, you know, the, the, the numbers the ver to the verses and the numbers to the chapters weren't put in there by Paul when he wrote it. It was a letter. That was done by scribes later on who went in and put those in there so that you and I could find our way through the Bible a lot easier. 
So when we find at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what we discover is that the theme shifts. And so I want to now dive into that shifting theme, and I want to jump to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 13. And here's what Paul says to the church, and he's saying it to us through the Spirit. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Paul's saying this. He's saying there's a lot of people out there when someone dies, they grieve and they're sad and they're hopeless. But because we're Christians, we don't have to be hopeless. We should be full of hope. In fact, the first point that I believe God wants to give us today in the end of this chapter, in the end of this book, is that you and I are to model hope. Everybody say that with me. The message is that God wants us to model hope. We're not to be hopeless, we're to be hopeful. So let's continue reading, and and it's connected to this theme that he's talking about of when people die. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, for since we believe, he says, now remember, don't be ignorant about those who've died. I don't want you to live without hope. And he goes on to say, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, now let me stop there. There's two themes right here that I want to focus on because if we're going to be people who are full of hope and model hope, there are four things that give us hope. The first thing is, is that Jesus is going to return. Jesus didn't just drop us off on the doorstep of life and take off forever. He's not an absentee God. He's coming back. He's returning. That is good news. Come on, somebody say amen. In fact, the concept of the return of Christ was a central theological thing for the early church. It's what they talked about. It's what Jesus talked about. It's what we should talk about. We're full of hope because Jesus is going to come back. Amen? So we have that as a theme that makes us full of hope. The other theme that's here is it says, since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life. Let's go on to the next slide. God will bring back with him, when he comes back, the believers who have died. The second theme is resurrection. You see, Jesus died and he rose again. What you and I need to understand is that when we die, now we know that as a human being, we're made up of three things. We're made up of body, soul, which is your heart, will, and emotions, and spirit, Kind of like the image of God, that's what the scripture says, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three parts to us, body, soul, and spirit. Now, some people might think that just our spirits live on in eternity, but here's the good news. Not just our spirit is going to live on and go to heaven, but God is going to resurrect our bodies. Your grandma out in the cemetery, if she knew Jesus, is going to come back to life. Now, some of you got nervous about that because you didn't like your grandma I have that much. Her body is going to rise again. And some of you got nervous too because you're like, wait a minute, she was cremated. What are we going to do? Well, listen, if God is big enough and powerful enough to create the world out of nothing, how many know he can put some ashes together and resurrect a body? So our hope is modeled because, number one, Jesus is going to return. And number two, there is resurrection that we're coming back to life. We're going to live forever. And here's the cool thing. When we come back to life, we get a new glorious body. Come on, somebody say amen to that. No wrinkles. No fat. 
I don't know what the glorified body is, but it's good because it lasts forever. Come on, somebody say amen. So we're full of hope. So God will bring back with him the believers who have died, this resurrection. Uh, of It says, for the Lord himself, now here's the next theme, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. It also says with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. So there's going to be this loud shout, this sound of the trumpet, commanding shout. Let's go on to the next slide. For then the believers who have died will rise from their graves. We see that resurrection. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, keep going, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Let me stop there. Here's our next theme. So we're full of hope because of resurrection. We're full of hope because Christ is returning. And we're full of hope because of the rapture. Now, what is the rapture? Well, the idea of the rapture is that one day when Jesus returns, the clouds are going to part, the trumpet's going to sound, and if you ever wanted, how many of you have ever wanted to fly like Superman? (laughs) One day you and I are going to fly. Now, some people when they fly, they're going to be like, whoa, not me. I'm going to be like, (laughs) because I've been waiting. I've always wanted to be like Superman. I mean, when I take off and the Lord's coming, I'm going to be like, I mean, I'm ready to go. One day we're going to fly. The Bible says we're going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Now, let me just say, the rapture, and I know that, well, let me finish the verse. (laughs) Getting caught up in this Superman thing. Be caught up to meet the Lord in the air because of the rapture. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, they're going to leave this verse up for a second. The Bible says that when we think about eternity, and we think about the rapture, it should be encouraging. But I'll be honest, growing up, when people talked about the rapture, it didn't make me encouraged. It freaked me out. I mean, come on, think about it. One day, in fact, there was this this painting that someone did years ago of the rapture, and you may have seen it growing up. And it's this painting of, you know, people getting raptured out of cars and crashes happening and planes going down. And I mean, it was like, you know, they get up there and they're trying to encourage you with, here comes the rapture. And you're like, You're scared half to death. In fact, you know, Jesus talked about when the rapture comes or when the return comes, he says it's going to be like um, two, in fact, he uses the idea that there'll be two people working in a field, one will be taken away and one will be left. And there was someone who wrote a song. It was a worship song. And I think they were trying to be encouraging, but boy, it didn't feel encouraging because here's how it sounds. It goes like this. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. (laughs) I mean, he didn't laugh, but I mean, when when I heard that song, I mean, I wasn't encouraged. I was freaked out. In fact, my youth pastor preached a message called, What to Do If You Miss the Rapture. That's what he preached. Preached a message called what to do with, and I'll never forget that on the day he preached, it was a Tuesday night. The next day I came home from school, and it just so happened, uh, you know, my parents lived in a house right next door to the church called the Parsonage. And every day when I would get home from school was my mom's prayer time. And so I was usually come into the house with my mom praying. Well, I'll never forget, my, my pastor had just preached what to do if you miss the rapture, you know, if you get left behind. And so I come walking into the house, I knock, you know, open the door, and I'm like, hey, what's up? I'm home. And there's no sound. And I go walking around the house. 
I go back into my mother's room where she's supposed to be praying. And there's a box of tissue, but no mom. And immediately I'm like, the rapture. God left me. I wasn't ready. I'm like freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go. Dad's got to be over at the church because the church was right next to the parsonage and he was always at the church. So I run over to the church. The church is wide open. The lights are on. I run into his office and nobody's there. Now I'm sure that I have been left behind. I am freaking out. I'm walking around the church. I'm like, oh God, okay, what did he preach? What did he preach? What am I supposed to do if I miss the rapture? Okay, find Bibles and bury them somewhere. I got I to gotta do, I'm, I'm going through all this stuff and I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the prayer chain list and I'm going to go down the prayer chain list. Anybody remember back in the day when we had an actual prayer chain list? Some of you remember this. It's old school and they would have a name with a phone number after it and they would just be listed all the way down. And what would happen is you would get the list and when you got a call, then with the prayer, uh, request, then you would turn around and you would call the next person on the list because you had their number. So I'm like, well, I'm going to call that list and I'm sure I'm going to be fine. So I grabbed the list. I dialed the first number. It was back in the days when it was like, come on. Remember those days? Takes forever. I mean, I'm like wanting to dial now. It's like, I finally get the person, I finally, you know, make the call, ring, ring, nobody answers. I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom's not here, my dad's not here, the person on the prayer list is not here. I go to the second name, nobody's home. I go to the third name, nobody's home. By this time, I am freaking out. (laughs) Then I get to number four, and number four was Sister Lorena. Sister Lorena was about a... 80-year-old woman, prayer warrior, I mean, loved Jesus. And so I dialed the number, and when I dialed the number and it rang, suddenly I hear, hello. And I'm like, who is this? And she's like, it's Sister Lorena. And I start jumping up and down, and I'm like, hallelujah, because gee, here's the deal, Sister Lorena, if you didn't go up in the rapture, then the rapture didn't happen, I know. And so you know what? The rapture didn't happen. My mom went to the store, and my dad walked around the corner. The, the whole time, I was freaking out for nothing. But the point I want to make is that a lot of people, when they think about eternity, rather than having hope, they have uncertainty. Rather than having joy that Jesus is returning and going to take us to be with him, instead there's fear and uncertainty. And I want to tell you something, as a church, we don't have to walk around uncertain of eternity. We can model hope. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to be raptured. And we're going to spend eternity with him forever. Somebody say amen. Because here's the fourth theme. We just read it. You see, when you're raptured, you're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then... We will be with the Lord forever. You know, it's interesting. How many like the thought of heaven? I got to be honest with you, since the passing of my father, heaven has been something I think about more than I used to. Heaven is something I actually long for. And what's amazing is the Bible says that God has created a place for you and I called heaven. Jesus said, when I go, don't be sad. That's what he tells his disciples. Because I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that exciting to know that God is preparing a place for you? And I don't know what it's going to be like. The Bible talks about mansions or rooms. I have a feeling he's making it perfect just for you. I have a feeling when I walk into my mansion in heaven, on the walls everywhere are going to be Detroit Lion posters. I know it's going to be that way. I love the Detroit Lions. 
God is preparing a place for me. And what's interesting is the Bible says that when we're raptured, that he's going to bring the saints with him. You know, heaven is beautiful. Heaven is amazing. Did you know that in heaven, there's going to be no more crying? In heaven, there's going to be no more pain. In heaven, there'll be no sickness, no fear. In heaven, there will be no death. It has gates of pearl. Has streets of gold. Now, in fact, I heard a story about heaven. I heard a story about um, St. Peter. It just so happened on this certain day that a, a cat and a mouse died and they went to heaven. And I was really surprised because I only thought dogs went to heaven. But, um, <laughs> but I guess the cat somehow made it. Um, it's probably the only cat. And, um, and so the cat and the mouse were there and... Um, Peter walks up to him. He said, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. And so he said, come in and enjoy the, you know, the kingdom of the Lord. And so that happens. And they, about two weeks later, St. Peter, he sees the mouse. He's like, hey, what do you think of heaven so far? And the mouse is like, man, I love, it was more like, man, I love this place. And I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> man, I love this place. It's awesome. And he goes, she goes, the, the mouse says, but you know, it's so big. I need some roller skates. You didn't know that mouse sounded like Mickey Mouse, did you? Okay. And, um, and so, so Peter said, hey, no problem. I'll get you some roller skates. And so they hook him up and get him some roller skates. About two weeks later, he sees the cat. And he comes up to the cat and St. Peter says, hey, man, what do you think of heaven so far? And the cat says, it's awesome. He goes, it's amazing. In fact, just when I thought it couldn't get any better, I discovered Meals on Wheels. Uh, <laughs> That's why cats don't go to heaven. Anyway, I, I, um, the, the point I want to make today is simply this. Do you realize that the Bible says that when we're raptured, Jesus is coming back with the saints? Do you realize that when you step into eternity, the very first thing you'll experience is a reunion with your loved ones? Because heaven, why we're hopeful, it's not just because it's beautiful. It's because it's reunion. And I want to tell you that we live life. And that's why Paul says, listen, I want you to think about eternity. I want you to think about these things. Because when you think about these things, when you realize that, that life isn't just right now, but there's an eternity, and that we're going to live forever, and that we're going to be reunited with the ones we love, it'll make you act different. It'll make you think different. It'll make you use your money differently. It'll make you uh, use your time differently. It'll make you use your talents differently. It'll change the way you are because you are full of hope. You're not like the world. It isn't over when you take your last breath. You know that there's heaven and reunion comes to those who know Jesus Christ. So model hope. Come on, somebody give Jesus praise. So Paul says at the end of this book, I think it's powerful. He gives us all these things to model and then he ends by saying, so be hopeful because there's eternity. So be eternally minded and live with hope. The second thing he says is I want you to model readiness. If you're taking notes, write that down. Model readiness. It's interesting because as we keep reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm not going to be able to get through everything in this chapter, but I want to highlight a few of the things. He says this. He says, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. 
like a thief in the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. What's interesting is this idea of stay alert and clear-headedness and not asleep. The idea is basically not letting something affect your senses. Kind of like we know that in this world, if you drive a vehicle and you use prescription drugs or alcohol, it impairs your senses and your ability to react. So the police will pull you over and give you a DUI for driving under the influence. And the reason is, is because you're not driving, you're not moving forward in a way that you're all there. You're not alert. And so even though they didn't have cars back then, this, the idea that as we move forward, God doesn't want us to get a DUI. He doesn't want us to not be paying attention. He wants us to be alert. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be making sure that when, the, when he returns, that it doesn't catch us off guard. How many want to be ready for the return of Jesus? Because we want to model hope and we want to model readiness. So I decided, well, let's look and see what Paul said are ways we can be ready. And what shocked me was the first thing on the list. Now, there's a lot of things there, and we're going to touch on them. But the very first thing on the list of how you and I can be ready for the second coming or the return of Christ blew me away. You ready? Here's the first way that you and I, I, I didn't expect it. Now, remember, don't kill the messenger because God is the one who's given the message. I didn't come up with this idea. It was already there. I'm just reading what's already there. You know what God said? The first thing you can do to be ready for his return? It's this. Write this down. Honor leadership. Caught me off guard. The very first thing he says, let's read it. First Thessalonians tells us, dear brothers and sisters, what's the next word? That's kind of weak. Let's try it again. What's the next word? Honor, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. And then if you fast forward a few verses, and I'm pulling these verses in because they tie in. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, the first thing that, that God tells us if we're going to be ready and alert for his coming is that we're, be, we're to be people who honor those in leadership. And here it's specifically spiritual leadership. Now, I know you might ask the question, well, what does that mean? How do I honor leadership? You know, does that mean that I, you know, say hi, I shake hands, or I, I use a certain title? And, you know, there's a lot of things about honor. I've preached on honor. We've learned about honoring our spouses, right? Husbands honor their wives. Wives honor their, their husbands. We've, we've learned the, the idea of honoring those in leadership in our nation, in our city, and, and those kinds of things, on the job. We, we've learned all those things. But today, I want to focus on one area of how you and I can be people of honor. And I'm going to use the story of Jesus because I think it's so important, and this one is really a big deal. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus went to his hometown. And when he got to his hometown, he started to preach, and he started to share the word. And when he started to share the word, here's what the people did. They dishonored him. Now, how did they dishonor him? Well, here's basically what they did. Because the word honor means to value. The word dishonor means to treat as common and ordinary. So now, they show up in the synagogue. Jesus starts to teach. And what do they do? They start 
saying, well, that's just Joseph's son. I know him. I saw him running around the neighborhood. He puts on his, not pants, his cloak, one cloak at a time. I don't know. It's a little different than nowadays. Puts on his pants one leg at a time. I know he's a squirrely kid. I've seen him. That's just, that's just Jesus. And they just treated him common. And the Bible said that because of that, that God wasn't able. It doesn't say that God didn't. It said that God wasn't able to do very many miracles in their midst. And then Jesus tells us the reason why. He says, because a prophet is not honored in his own nation. In other words, what he's saying is, when people don't honor, when they come to church and go, yeah, that's just Jared. I see him at the grocery store. He likes ice cream, by the way. He always has ice cream in his basket. Yeah, he's got some talk he's going to give us today. And he treated as ordinary. Rather than, instead of showing him and going, hey, that's Pastor Jared. You know, he's a good guy. I, I, I know he's kind of goofy sometimes. But man, when he gets up there and talks, he's, he's teaching the word. And the word, this is coming from God. God is speaking today. So I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get my notes ready. My heart is ready. I want to honor this moment because I believe that it's not just some guy talking. But this is God's person for me in this moment to hear what God wants to say to me. So it's, this is a prophecy. I'm not going to scoff. This isn't just gathering together. This is the place where the Holy Spirit is. I don't want to stifle the Holy Spirit. I want to recognize I'm not going to scoff at prophecy. I'm going to believe that God speaks today and he speaks through the spiritual leadership of my life. So I'm showing up to church today and I am ready. I got my notes ready and I am ready because God is going to do some talking to me. In that atmosphere, God releases his power and his grace. But in the atmosphere where we just show up and it's a ritual and we make it common and we don't honor, we limit God's ability to move powerfully in our lives. And Paul says, if you want to truly be ready for my return, and learn the principle of honor. Maybe when you show up to your circle this week, you don't just show up just tired, blown out, and go, oh yeah, John's going to give the devotion this week. But instead you show up and you say, you know what? God put John over this circle. Maybe today, God, you want to say something to me because I'm going to honor the spiritual leadership you placed in my life. I'm going to believe that you still speak today and I'm going to position myself. You know, I got to tell you, it's the people that come to church with that attitude. It's the people that come up to me after a service with their kids and go, Pastor, would you pray over my, my, my child, my daughter, my son? Something's going on in their life. And they're like, this is the pastor. Come on, he's going to pray for you. And there's a spirit of honor. You can see it. And I see it sometimes in the people that come from a Catholic background. There, there's an honor and a respect. Now, some of that's been degraded with things that have happened in the Catholic church over the last few years. But you see this respect and this honor. I got to tell you, when you come with that kind of faith, what does the Bible say? These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall 
cast out devils. In my name, it shall lay hands on the sick. You see, faith is the trigger that releases the power and the grace of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because without faith, we have to, what do we have to do? We have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek after him. So God is looking for people who say, I'm coming today with faith. I'm coming today with honor, believing God that I'm positioned in the place where you can speak to me. God, I'm ready for what you have to say and I'm ready for Superman. I'm ready for when you come. Somebody say amen. Let me just throw one other thing in there about honor leadership. Uh, let's go back to that verse, guys. I hadn't planned to do it, but um, when you get to that verse, it says, the verse before, it says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. I got to tell you, one of the greatest ways for my kids to honor me when we go on vacation. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going. Come on now. One of the greatest ways for my family to honor me when we go on vacation is don't fight. Come on, how many are you talking about? Because <laughs> if they could just get along, oh, it's so great. And why is it when I leave them with the babysitter, they fight more? because they don't honor the babysitter. Because they know if it were you, you believe in the ministry of laying on hands. Come on, how many of them are So they'll honor you a little bit more. Can I tell you one of the greatest ways you can honor your boss, you can honor a pastor, you can honor someone that God has placed you under? Get along. Be peaceable with other people. You know, I tell people sometimes, they'll come to me with an issue and I'll say, okay, here's the thing. God's positioned you. You can be one of two things. If there's a fire over there, you can either be water or you can be gasoline. What are you going to be? I think God's looking for firemen, not arsonists. That's why last week we learned, right? Don't be lazy because if we're lazy, we'll turn into an arsonist. We'll turn into the meddler, the gossiper right? And I got to tell you, one of the things of living ready in honor is saying, Lord, I want to be someone who puts out the fire. I want to be someone who reconciles and helps people to get along. I want to be someone who doesn't talk and, and stir up the problem. I want to be someone that calms it down. i tell you, what's a beautiful way for us to be ready. How many want to model readiness? Say amen. So the first way that he gives us is to, is to, is to do that, is to honor leadership. Here's the second way. I got to keep moving. Value others. The second way that we model readiness for his return is value others. Let's keep reading. We urge you to warn those who are lazy. We learned about that last week, right? Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good for each other. I like one translation says, always pursues good. God wants us to pursue good. But here's what I, I believe God is saying to us in this passage, is that if you and I are going to be ready for the return of Christ, then we have to be committed to be in relationship with people. I preached a series on circles. We've been focusing on circles. We talk about circles all the time. We're getting ready to start our circles. Why do I do that? Because the farther we get in history, the farther we get down the line in history, and the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, the more our society becomes evil. And what does the Bible say? One of the descriptions of that is, our temptation will be to not 
gathered together. The Bible says that we'll forsake the gathering together of the saints. Rather than gathering up in relationship, we'll be tempted to think we can just kind of isolate ourselves. Come on, just go to the doctor's office. Everyone is isolated. It used to be when you go to the doctor's office and you sat in the waiting room and they had all those old, ugly magazines that nobody wants to read and you had nothing to do, people would talk to each other. Go to the doctor's office now. (laughs) Nobody says anything to each other. Nobody talks to each other. We're living in a world that's getting more and more isolated. People will open the garage door, drive out, drive home, close it. That's all you see. Because we're tempted that we don't need anybody. It's just me and God. But you see, as long as it's you and God, here's the problem. There's people that need to be encouraged. There are people that are timid that need to be helped along. There's people that are weak that need to be strengthened. And you and I are the body of Christ. And so unfortunately, as we get farther and farther down history, because our tendency is to isolate, what we're doing is we're paralyzing the body of Christ. And we have a body of Christ who has no arms and has no legs that can't do anything because we don't value others. And so God says, if you're going to be ready for my return, you can't live life all about you anymore. Quit making life about the next series you're going to watch on Netflix. Quit making life about your project at home, which those things are fine. But the question is, are you in a circle? Are you in relationship? Because I'm going to tell you, when you get in relationship with someone and they're weak, something inside of you, because of that relationship, will say, hey, how can I help you and make you strong? Relationship creates that connection. And it, it triggers and releases the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ. You want to sum up the Bible? Jesus said it this way, love God and value others. That's good preaching, somebody say amen. Here's the last thing that we end with. If we're going to be ready, if we're going to model readiness, we honor leadership, right? We value others, and the last thing is we keep the right attitude. Everybody say, attitude. attitude. Come on, you got to say it with attitude. Come on, say attitude. attitude. Keep the right attitude. Let's read what it says. Always be. Never stop. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. God's will is for us to have the right attitude. And what I find interesting is in between be joyful all the time and learn to be thankful is keep on praying. Because I I believe the reason God put it there is because the only way for you to be joyful and to keep being thankful is to put it on your prayer list every day. Because if you don't pray about it, It's easy for you to lose your way. And suddenly, you see, when you're praying, you're in communication with God. When you're praying, God's, he's bringing up things in your heart, scriptures that you've read. When you're doing your devotions, when you're in that, because see, when I think of prayer, I don't think of just reading a Bible. Or, um, Or when I think of prayer, I don't just think of saying, you know, my requests. 
of the things that God needs to do for me. When I think of praying, I think of reading the Bible. I think of meditating on what it means. I think of worshiping. I think of sharing what's in my heart, listening to what he's saying. You see, it's through that relationship with God that suddenly you find that you are joyful all the time. Well, how can you be joyful? You just lost your job. Well, you know why I can be joyful? Because first of all, God is Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. So when the time comes, he's going to provide my need. He said he'd provide all my needs according to his riches and glory Christ by Christ Jesus. You see, when you're praying, you're reminded of those things. When you're praying, you're reminded of things. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm so sorry that you had that problem and that, that everyone's attacking you. Well, you know what? The Bible says rejoice in persecution and rejoice in trials because it's God's way of perfecting your faith. So guess what? I'm just getting a little more perfect. Can't you see it? Look, look. I'm getting more perfect. You see, your perspective begins to change when you're in that relationship and that prayer time and that devotion with God. You see, God is looking for a church who will have the right attitude. And too many of the church right now, they're just pointing their finger in judgment. Too many in the church right now are focusing on all the trials and the problems in our world. And they think, well, it's just going to get worse. Things are going to be terrible. And yes, we know evil will increase as we get closer to the return of Christ. But the Bible says where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. And let's be a church that is hopeful. Let's be a church that when we think of eternity, here's what we think about. I'm thankful. You know why I'm thankful? Because one day soon, I know it's been tough right now, but one day soon, the clouds are going to part. And one day soon, there's going to be a trumpet that sounds. And as I look up, I'm going to see on a white horse, I'm going to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with the scepter in his hand. And he's going to call our name. And we're going to rise to meet him in the air. And we're going to spend eternity with the Lord for ever. That is why I'm full of hope. And that is why I'm living ready. Because he's coming. He's coming. He's prepared a place for you. The question is, are you ready to go to the place he's prepared for you? <laughs>